Thanks for joining us for season four of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Brand Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for the introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, Jimmy and I are the personalities behind Brand Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. Jimmy, very excited today. I don't know if you see me smiling, but I have been smiling from ear to ear. And do you know why I'm smiling? I have no idea. I'll tell you why. It's not because we have a great guest. We do. That, I know, we have a great guest, but that's not why I'm smiling. I'm going to smile after about the great guest. Right now, I'm smiling because we have close to 200 companies loaded up onto the branded marketplace. Branded Marketplace, what is that, Chatsy? Please tell us I'm more. glad you asked, Jimmy. So the Branded Marketplace is a digital e-commerce platform. It is loaded with best-in-class technology solutions for the entire restaurant hospitality ecosystem. So if you're an operator and you're looking for a solution to help you solve some of your biggest problems, you go to the Marketplace and there's going to be a solution for you. It doesn't cost anything to be on the Marketplace. It doesn't cost anything to use the Marketplace. It is completely free. And Jimmy... <laughs> How do we make money? Volume. 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 <laughs> charge, charge no one. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I think we, I know we have 200 companies now, but at the end of the year, we should have like 500. And I think by then with 500 companies, I'm sure somehow, even not charging, we'll make money. Don't know exactly how, but anyway, check out the branded marketplace.com. And if you want to be on the marketplace, you want to have you, if you have a solution solving some of the biggest problems in the hospitality industry, email us at marketplace at brandestrategic.com. Or uh, just call Jimmy on his cell phone, uh, 917-555-1212, and you can speak to Jimmy, and he will uh, give you all the information on that. Anyway, that is my shameless plug, Jimbo. You take over from here. Yes, that shameless plug was brought to you by Chico's Bail Bond. So uh, yes. uh, for all you, Thank uh, you for, Chico. For all people of age, you get that reference. Okay, um, just a, a, a quick comment that uh, before we jump into the podcast today, we have a very exciting offer to share at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the episode. Uh, so particularly all operators listening, please stick around to the end so we can make our incredible offer that we'll be announcing at the end of the episode. Yes, we're going to make you stick to the end. All right, we are very excited for today's episode. Our guest is Marty Honfeld, the chief Chief Customer Officer at Olo. Yes, we have. Man, we have been we have been trying to get Marty on for like five years. Podcast's only uh, two years old, but five years. Yeah, yeah. That's how much we've been trying to get Marty on. That's our company's only three years old. But okay, uh, you 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 had I, vision. I had, you had vision. 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 All right. Well, let's let let's let's let Marty break into the episode before he decides he wants to dump the before he actually yells at his communication officer. For, for, why did I do? Why this? did I agree to do this? All right, Marty, we're gonna let you take the lead. Please give us a little background on yourself and, of course, uh, what's going on at Olo because you guys are absolutely making things happen in this industry and being a leader in this tech revolution we're experiencing. But, Marty, we'll let you take it from here. Wow, that's a lead-in. Uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, and I guess, you know, for those who don't know Olo, you know, uh, kind of first off, uh, we're a software company based out of uh, New York City. We've been at this digital ordering and delivery thing now for 16 years. What, 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 what? Um, so 16 years? We just had our 16th anniversary on so this. Is a, this is June, a really old startup. June 1st. Yeah, it still feels like a startup, but, you know, here we are. And we're a bit over 500 employees now, so that isn't a very startup-y number either anymore, but... Um, you know, we still run it like it's a startup. 
Um, anyway, you know, we're, we're here in current space and time. We've got about 50% of public restaurant brands using our platform, powering their digital ordering and delivery programs. And that equates to about 74,000 individual restaurant locations. So pretty big exposure all in the U.S. Uh, Olo is a uh, Olo is a behind the scenes platform, right? You don't go to Olo.com to place an order for food. Um, we power the uh, direct digital ordering and delivery programs that help operationalize the indirect stuff. Um, as for my role, uh, chief customer officer translated to English means uh, I'm responsible for sales, marketing, and our post-sales services. <laughs> so the front of the house. Responsible for sales. That's a big deal. And podcasts. Also podcasts. And podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah, thanks for all that, uh, Marty. You know, look, we got a lot to talk about. We have, as Jimmy likes to say, a lot of wood to chop. A lot of wood to chop because <laughs> Olo is doing some amazing things. Before we dive deeper into Olo, love to just learn a little bit about how – what makes Marty tick? No, in all seriously, how did Marty get to chief customer officer? Where did your journey start? Were you in the restaurant business before? Were you in the technology? Give me some background. Give our listeners, how did Marty get here? Yeah, so in my case, not restaurants. I'm a, a serial tech startup guy going uh, a long way back. So I, I began sort of as a baby in outside sales, and then I shifted into leadership and I discovered I was pretty good at selling complex products into complex companies, right? So kind of the more technical and nuanced, the better. And I was fortunate enough to be with, uh, you know, a number of companies in the internet, 1.0 or the dot-com era that were quite successful. And, Can you, know, you, name, drop? You, Can you name drop for us, Marty? People love logos well, and names. No, nobody would even remember them anymore. But sure, I was with a company in the 90s called Ascend Communications, which was a big, uh, a big player in the, you know, kind of internet infrastructure when we first built out the internet, picks and shovels. You know, big successful company started small. And you know, once you tap that high growth, high disruption vein, you know, the pursuit never stops. So, you know, Ultimately, years later, I was introduced to Olo shortly after the company raised its B financing, its B round. So that was a $5 million raise. And they were ready to give the, uh, you know, scaling the business a shot. So I, I joined as the 13th employee in, in 2013 uh, with two colleagues, colleagues of mine that I had worked with at another company that shared an investor with Olo. So... Um, we were introduced to Noah, who's the founder and CEO, Noah Glass. And the company at that point really had, uh, you know, an early product market fit via just two or three mid-market enterprise customers. That, that included five guys, which I still regard as kind of the anchor brand that we built the company off of. And, you know, when, when I see that as the sales and marketing, you know, leader, I, that's a good sign, you know, and something I can work with. If you can get one serious enterprise to use your product, you can get others. Mm -hmm. And anyway, you know, fast forward eight years, which is how long I've been with the company. I just crossed eight years and it all still just feels a little like yesterday, you know, and the same team is here eight years later and, you know, we're thrilled with the partnership with one another and, and the results so far. That's great. And thank you, Marty. I also, I got a kick out of 
uh, a Series B 2013, five million. You look at Series A. Things A's, have changed, huh? You know, series A's today, and if it's a, you know, you're talking about um, uh, about dollars amount that that are multiple of that amount, and yet they're using the same nomenclature. But anyway, that's that's a topic for uh, an, another day. Uh, I want to jump right into one of my favorite uh, my favorite topics, and certainly an overarching theme for today's episode, and and that's that's really delivery. Um, and it's just not possible for us to talk about delivery without kind of you know looking at or breaking down direct versus indirect. Uh, being that Olo is in the middle. Um, and as you said, um, you know, behind the scenes, can you share with us your thoughts kind of on the delivery space? It's, it's getting a lot of attention, certainly the pandemic, but a spotlight on the criticality of being online and, and being in the delivery business. But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, on you know, what's going on in the delivery space and, and how Olo is positioning itself, not just today, but, but looking you know, going forward. Yeah, so it's, of course, one of our favorite topics and my favorite topics, too. And, it, you know, it's one we've been speaking about with the industry for years. So, you know, I think going back to even 2015, I guess early 2015, we were already drawing analogies to the hotel industry, which at the time was sort of a novel comparison that people weren't really familiar with. But it still stands up and it, it's still something that I advocate. Um, you know, restaurant brand stakeholders and people in the industry familiarize themselves with because uh, although there are certainly differences between hotels and restaurants, the analogy holds up, right? And the things that are happening within our business right now uh, happened a decade ago in, in the hotel industry. Mm -hmm. So I sort of net it out like this. Um, you know, the indirect marketplaces uh, who are often uh, associated with delivery, they're great, right? And at the end of the day, they, they have what they say they do, right? They have a loyal cohort of consumers that use their platforms regularly in this sort of endless food court. But... Um, the restaurant industry has proven to be, you know, kind of pretty lazy in how they utilize and manage those partners, right? And, and that's, they often conflate the benefits of working together in partnership with a third-party marketplace and delivery enablement, right? So this, um, this, much of this happened in a hurry. Um, I think the industry felt like they needed to deliver and they didn't think or understand all of their options to have food delivered. And they, you know, unfortunately, I think they let an oversized number of consumers shift off direct business and escape to the marketplaces. So it's just something that, you know, the storm clouds remain on the horizon. And, you know, for any brand that doesn't invest in servicing their loyal consumers directly, um, you know, it could be rough days. Yeah, no doubt about that, Marty. Uh, you know, listen, I think a lot of people believe that delivery, that's the way most people get their food uh, taken care of. But I think uh, when you really look at it, it's really most transactions are pickup, curbside pickup, things like that. And I think the delivery is where everyone gets a lot of the most attention, but I think that's where a lot of people really use uh, curbside pickup, et cetera. Uh, the, the handoff is really important. 
So what can operators do to make sure that their off-premise program is, is well-rounded and balanced and running smooth on all fronts? You've got the kiosk, you've got the drive-through, you've got the online, you got delivery, you got pickup, you got there's so many channels now that an operator needs to look at. So what kind of things should they do to make sure that it's balanced and, and they're putting everything in the right spot, if you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So I, I want to go back and just touch on something that you alluded to mm -hmm. and maybe just kind of expand a little bit more on the specifics because yeah, please do because I don't know what I'm saying half the time. You know, that's right. You know, we, we like to use the NPV data set as, you know, kind of the most current data set we, you know, we refer to to understand, you know, kind of the breakout by channel and how consumers are behaving. And, you know, according to the most recent data, still over two thirds of all restaurant transactions are consumed off premise. This is, I think, broadly misunderstood in the industry. And of that two thirds, only 16% of those transactions are delivery, right? So delivery actually mm. represents a really small piece. You know, put another way, drive-through and orders placed digitally for carryout still represent, you know, a vast majority of the orders. That's a great point. I think you know, being here in New York City, it's completely skewed because we are all we do is basically sit in our apartment. Uh, Jimmy just sits in his apartment all day and just orders food. Uh, <laughs> so that's what Jimmy does. So that's what he knows. But uh, I think to your and, point, and I think you're, and I think you're encroaching on my on my my next question, Chad. So I'm telling you just to back off, back off <laughs> before you encroach too much. Back it up. Back it off. Well, look, going back to your your question about you know what can operators do, I yeah. think mm -hmm. you know as digital has clearly you know kind of passed the novelty phase, and you know brands now often have three or four primary ordering channels. Like you said, yeah. there's kiosks, there's you know kind of web, mobile, other channels, and then maybe a similar number of indirect ordering channels, and then compound that with three or four different handoff mechanisms. It, it just illustrates the importance of operationalizing for scale and consolidating the visibility and control of those things mm -hmm. to as few screens in places as possible, right? So, you know, uh, shameless plug, you know, but on, on the Olo platform, we have a, a, a solution called Expo, right? And this is a tablet-based web app that our customers can use at no additional cost and it gives them full visibility into all of the direct and indirect digital orders, uh, regardless of the handoff type, and allows them to, you know, car, you know, Starship control from from there. Yeah, no, that makes I, sense. And you and you can give a shameless plug because I gave one earlier. Yeah, look, I expect a ton of innovation on the staff facing and operational side of things in the future. And, and these, you know, there's already good tools that exist, and there'll be more. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, we broke into the business, Branded did, um, as, as an investor in the space, really trying to address pain points for operators. And and it's amazing to me how many uh, of our guests, uh, how many of our customers, and even how many folks we work with in the investment space didn't see delivery as even being all that complex. Um, and, and words like tablet hell was foreign to so many. And in one of our stores, we had as many as eight tablets and we'd have two people at peak hours basically 
operating those tablets because each one operate a little differently. And, and I try to explain to people that what Olo does for the market, and, and certainly there are some, you know, some smaller competitors out there, um, is really important to the operator. Um, you know, I don't think it's fair to discuss off-prem without recognizing, and that's what I was alluding to with Shatsy's encroachment. Um, you yelled at me, Jimmy. Uh, well, you, you, I, I, I didn't shame you. I just yelled at you. The difference between the demographic behavior throughout the country, and uh, as Shatsy's already alluded to, we're over here in New York, and, you know, we talk about the, the, the digital changes going on. And there's really, there's, you know, I see two bubbles in the U.S. There's, you know, New York City where we are and certainly San Francisco. And then um, I'm, there's nothing nothing negative whatsoever, but there's also then the rest of the country and the density of New York certainly impacts our own behavior. Um, but can you share, you know, a little bit about delivery as it relates to, you know, in Olo's view, the dense urban uh, let's say versus the suburban markets because they're very different markets, um, different behavior. And how does Olo address you know th those different markets? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think you're right with respect to food and restaurants. New York is sort of analogous to San Francisco with regards to you know the overweight use of cool new tech stuff in daily life. They're they're just they're just different, right? And in New York, many restaurants still self-deliver, right? So that's part of the solution that we have to deliver to any restaurant is to still give them the ability to roll their own and, you know, or, or, or run sort of a hybrid program. Look, I think with regard to suburban versus urban, thanks to the audaciousness of a, a few companies and the, the names that come to mind there are, you know, Domino's and Jimmy John's and DoorDash. Um, so suburban delivery has mm -hmm. been proven to work, right? They've, they've, they've made it work through a number of different constraints or just with, you know, kind of pure muscle. Um, that said, there's definitely a cost problem to solve on multi-mile suburban delivery. And, and I, because of that, you'll continue to see investments surrounding handoff and delivery. Things like autonomy and, you know, all the investment going on in that space, you know, drones, et cetera, better consumer pickup experiences that might, in, you know, incent a consumer uh, to just go grab it because it's you know, painless and faster than delivery. Uh, these are the sorts of things that we're thinking about, and we want to make sure that we support in our platform long term. I, I believe that the model that will prevail in the suburbs is different from the model uh, that's in place today. It's going to be fine tuned, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be cost as the big driver to uh, cost and speed to get better at it. Yeah. Thanks for all that, Marty. And I think uh, I want to change gears a little bit here. Um, let's talk about the other word, the other thing we're hearing a lot about, the buzzword. It's ghost kitchen, virtual kitchen, cloud kitchen. It's very ominous. Um, um, Jimmy, what's the word I'm looking for there? What word are you? I don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's very like you know, ghost kitchens. We went to a ghost kitchen event, virtual kitchens. No one wants to speak about it. It's very hush hush. But anyway, it's a very important question is, uh, is what is Olo? What do you think about the whole ghost kitchen experience? Is Olo, I, I'm sure you must be plugged into this in a big way with some of your enterprise brands. And what brand, do you have an opinion on what brand, who does it make sense for? Who should be doing this virtual ghost kitchen? What brands should be getting into it? What do you think is the right thing for? Is it for everybody? 
And so start with that. What, what, give me your, 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 what's Olo doing with Ghost Kitchens? What's your take on it? Jimmy, was it omnipresent that you're looking for? I don't know. I was looking for, I was looking for, I don't know. It was a little something. darker. A little, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, because I felt yeah. it was very dark. This whole ghost. I, I love, I love the vocabulary. <laughs> we could do an scary. entire episode on vocabulary that the the general guest or customer would have no idea what we're talking about. We could talk about tablet hell, last mile, dark kitchens. People would be like, what are these guys talking about? But okay, sorry, I interrupted you, Marty. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, we we've spent time, of course, trying to unravel the alphabet soup in the same way <laughs> that we just talked about it. And, you know, ghost kitchens, delivery kitchens, virtual kitchens, virtual brands. Um, look, for sure, there are um, there are there are good, valuable um, opportunities uh, interspersed into some of those buzzwords. Um, I, I wasn't so sure of that at first, by the way, you know, I think mm -hmm. that this idea of a remote kitchen kind of came on the scene and it was unclear what people were going to do with them. Um, now we've seen the spin up of virtual brands, right? So virtual brands as a brand extension for a brick and mortar, um, you know, restaurant. So sort of an online or digital only persona. I think mm -hmm. kind of the one that comes to mind famously for me is, you know, Pasquale's as an extension of Chuck E. Cheese, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you know, a very, a very different need to yep. represent that on online, right? You can't bring the arcade along. So, um, but we've had some really impressive successes with regard to virtual brands and delivery kitchens. So, uh, and, you know, have recently seen one uh, called Mr. Beast Burger that um, I was going to get it, there. I was going to get there. I, I wanted to talk to you about Mr. Beast. Yeah, look, it's a it's a chart topper for, you know, so for those of your listeners without a 10 year old boy at home, um, which I'm lucky <laughs> enough to have or are unaware of you know who Mr. Beast is, uh, his real name is Jimmy Donaldson. And he's a, a 23 year old YouTuber out of North Carolina. And so generally his videos feature some sort of fun stunts. And, you know, oddly enough, he went kind of super viral in 2017 when he did a 40 hour video of himself counting to 100,000 from one. Go figure. Right? Yeah, and I, heard, and I heard he's making like 100 million a year doing stuff. Yeah, like it's, it's. What am I doing hard wrong? Work. I could count. I could <laughs> count. You, you're, yeah, you so would you not anyway, count to 100,000. <laughs> no, I get to 10, 12, 20. He is a top 10 YouTuber. Um, with over 65 million subscribers on his main channel and another hundred, you know, and over a hundred million across his entire social media footprint. And so by all accounts, he's a good dude and he's doing some really virtuous stuff as a part of all this. He's raised, I don't know what the current number is a while back. It was over 20 million for charity. And he always has, you know, kind of an angle of good in his content. So at the beginning of this year, he launched uh, a pop-up burger concept, Mr. Beast Burger. Um, and it was a virtual brand, so to speak. There was a single pop-up they centered the launch off of, but all the other points of presence and all the other kitchens were you know, in the backs of other brick and mortar restaurants. And so it was a delivery only brand. It was unique because of uh, the, 
the direct to consumer reach through yeah. YouTube and so forth. They launched on the Olo platform primarily with a direct app and the app went to number one on the app store, like not restaurants, crazy. number one, number yeah. one, ahead of YouTube, <laughs> yeah. you know? That's crazy. And, um, you know, it's been a huge success. It's, they sold over a million burgers in under the first 90 days. It's proven to be very durable. They're in hundreds of restaurant locations. And, you know, this thing's a factor and it's on, you know, it's both direct and indirect now. And um, I think it it demonstrates that the industry is changing and there is power behind delivery only kitchens and virtual brands and so forth. You know, this is a podcast episode onto its own. I'm so glad you uh, you shared the story of Mr. Beast and the success. And I, I didn't think I don't think I understood just the magnitude uh, of of that of that of the of, the, of that uh, virtual. Jimmy, brand. you don't have a ten year old boy at home. Uh, no, no, I do not. I do have a four and a half year old little girl though. That's, that's she nice doesn't know from this. He stuff doesn't know Mr. Beast. But I will say, um, coming from a financial background, this is the most fragmented in- industry that that I've ever witnessed. And and that's not a criticism. It just is. Um, and we think coming out of the pandemic, you know, optionality is just critical. Um, there's no one size fits all. And, you know, for those that are are, 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 are not interested in, the, let's say, the delivery space or, or the off-prem, um, that's fine. There'll be plenty of venues for you to dine at um, in the most traditional way imaginable. But, you know, Brandon takes the position that we think by the end of the decade, 50% of eateries, of restaurants are going to be virtual. Um, it's a bold number, but I have to tell you that, you know, I, 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 we, I look at my own family, my father who's, who wants to dine traditional in-store and my nephew doesn't want to go near a, uh, my 21-year-old nephew doesn't want to go near a restaurant if he, if he can order uh, food. And he loves the virtual space and he loves these brands. So my comment is, is neither is right or wrong. Um, but the fact is, we as an industry are going to have to recognize the optionality is, is only becoming more heightened, more important. And we think that's one of the things that Olo is doing very effectively for the industry as it really attacks this digital space. All right. I want um, to, I want to, you know, are you done with that, Jimmy? You're going to keep going. Not that, but I just want to say I want to make a comparison. You know, when I think about, you know, we we like to say that the that today the industry is embracing uh, technology no longer as vitamins, but now as medicine. You know, and if you were to ask someone about medicine or an illness, the first person you'd want to consult with, I hope, is your doctor um, or someone in the Shatsy. in, the, right in, the, in the healthcare field, and not Shatsy. And please don't get your medical advice off of Facebook uh, or YouTube. Um, but when it comes to food. Um, we're a wonderful industry where everyone has an opinion. Um, people think I, I can. I, I, Everyone's a critic, Jimmy. I know how to eat food. I know how to cook some food. Therefore, I must be an expert. I know how to order food online. I know how to make reservations. I'm a tech expert in hospitality. Um, so they think, how hard could it be to make an order? But but it's not always you know so cut and dry. So so Marty, if you had the chance to educate uh, or maybe just you know the everyday restaurant guest or consumer on the inner workings on a restaurant delivery and off-premise program, you know what would it be? How would you explain it to the, your your average consumer uh, again about the uh, the off-premise programs? Yeah, and it's look, it's not even entirely off premise anymore. If you want to talk about digital, you know, there's increasingly uh, a solution there for your dad too, right? <laughs> so this idea of uh, ordering for on premise consumption using your own device. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so uh, increasingly complicated. So look, it, it's something that today some brands do better than others. Uh, you know, systems and uh, operational sophistication play a huge role. Um, I'll give you a, a good example. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, my son, who we've already covered is 10. Um, we were at a, a fast casual brand here locally uh, that's not an Olo customer. Um, what? But we use There's a non-Olo customer? One of the three. <laughs> After this experience, I'm about to tell you about. They're going to come around. So, okay. um, look, it, in we, uh, I used their their mobile app for dine in. So it, it was a, a decent, a decent, you know, UX experience. Uh, it was a Q, you know, QR code scan at the table for delivery to the table. We placed the order. Um, and, and then we waited and it didn't come. And so, you know, we flagged somebody down and they ultimately remade the order, but being in the industry and, you know, looking for, of course, a dart to throw at that competitor one of these days, um, I, I, you know, kind of set out to understand what had happened. Well, the food, the order was accepted and the food was prepared and it was put in a bag on a shelf probably three feet away from where <laughs> the server was looking for the food, right? So it was mismarked. And I think what it illustrates is that this is uh, a game of inches and the devil's in the details, right? So if you want to get this right, um, you know, there are complications and you need to, you know, it all leads to this kind of single goal of like, how do I delight the consumer? So not not too many elements to that. One, we have to have fresh, well-packaged food. The uh, accuracy needs to be perfect, right? Deliver what the consumer orders, and it needs to be prepared and delivered on time and as expected. So it sounds easy, but it's really hard, especially when you're in flight and, and busy, right? So mm -hmm. the systems and the things we're focusing on are well, are the ingredients available or did we accept an order that for something that we're out of and did we make it on time? And does that time intersect with, you know, the consumer's arrival or the delivery courier arriving to pick it up? Uh, I'll stop there. But, you know, it's a deep rabbit hole. And, and the gist is that, you know, a lot of time and investment needs to be focused on just better operationalizing orders that are originating, you know, kind of increasingly from more and more sources, right? So direct, indirect, on-premise and off. Um, it's the, like the dance is more, yeah, it, it's a bigger dance floor than it used to be. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You bring up a point and I just want to touch on it real quick. The idea of, um, you, you talked a little about hotels and airlines and how, uh, Restaurants are, are 10 years behind. So I think I'd like to just chat a little bit about aggregation, the idea of aggregation as it relates to restaurants, because hotels were aggregating with Expedian, bookings and price lines, et cetera. Airlines were aggregating and, and you know, and, and car rental agencies. You can just go and you can find out the best price and this and that. You could pick who you wanted to get it from. And what are your thoughts on, you know, Jimmy and I talk about this a lot, but if you go back that that restaurants are 10 years behind, then if this is the kind of now we're here, then what do you think about uh, restaurants aggregating with the idea of reservations, tables, aggregating pricing uh, or dynamic prices, I should say? Like, why is 
you know, I get an airline ticket, uh, you know, going down to Florida during Christmas, it's, you know, $800. And I, you know, if I want to go in July, it's $200. You know, if I want to go on a weekend, it's more money than it is on a Monday to Tuesday. You know, so why is it, why is the steak at my restaurant on Friday the same price as the steak on Monday? And why are the tables always, they're just, it's, 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 it's a level playing field. Every table is available to anyone, anytime, and it's the same. So I want your thoughts a little bit. Uh, I know this is not really about Ola, but you're a super smart guy in the space. So uh, the, the idea of aggregating, because you brought up the hotel, so that's something that comes to mind is aggregating of, of, of that kind of stuff. And I guess you can go into Marketplace and talk about, you know, the DoorDash and things like that as well. But give me your thought on this, like the dynamic pricing, the reservations. Yeah, well, look, I, I think um, from an ex- from I would tend to divide that question in half. I, I think yes. you have a cohort of restaurants that are experiential where some of these things fly. So it, you could look at Talk in out of Chicago, who was you know mm-hmm. a technology company that was you know spawned out of Alinea Group, and who recently sold. Mm-hmm. Um, they did this. Uh, they did this successfully with regard to reservations and, you know, securing prime times. They charged more for tables on, uh, yeah, 7 p.m. on a Friday I night. I think Resi tried did. that, if you remember, and, 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 and at least here in New York, nobody wanted to pay a little more money. They didn't want yeah, to. well, I think in the case of Alinea and some of their concepts, they did, and it did work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a corner case. And, you know, w- Shifting attention to limited service or, or more accessible restaurants, um, I think we're in the early days of that. So we're we're already seeing empowering, you know, sort of channel and handoff specific pricing. So our our customers, for example, are able to um, set pricing at different levels, uh, channel and handoff specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that we're going to see, you know go the full way of the commodity type pricing schemes anytime soon. The reality is, is there's probably not the same price sensitivity around a hamburger as there is an airline ticket. Right. But maybe I imagine some smarter promotions and offers having the same effect, you know, so rainy day, you know, push an offer for delivery or if the inventory on hamburger patties is a little higher than normal, maybe it's time for a double cheeseburger special or something like that. Yeah, that's a great point. But I was thinking like like you bring up like QSRs and fast casual restaurants, especially where they have the digital menu boards. It seems like, A, it would be really easy, uh, not easy for me, but easy for someone really smart to be able to be like, you know, the, 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 the happy meal, you know, at lunchtime when everybody wants the happy meal on Saturday, maybe it's this price, but maybe Monday, you know, maybe you don't have as much traction as that price, that kind of thing. I mean, it seems like it would be relatively easy to kind of change that dynamic pricing and so, almost like uber does with the surge pricing you know if it's snowing it's more money like if everybody wants to you know right Wing, wings on the super bowl wings on super bowl sunday right so, yeah, um, like yeah look, there's, there's there's definitely something there i just don't think we're quite that far down the road yep yeah, all right I well, know, two I, years we're gonna get you back and we're gonna talk about it again all right Done. listen before before we uh move on uh i wouldn't be the finance guy if I didn't bring up uh, Olo's IPO, um, and congratulations! Um, I actually, when I thought early in this in our show, you mentioned 16 years, and I was like, you know, Olo's a 16-year overnight success. Everyone talks about the IPO, and I'm like, yeah, a lot of work and a lot, a lot of years went into uh, the success of this company. But what could you share with us about the process of going public, and you know, is there anything different about Olo now that it's a public company? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for asking. Um, you know, obviously, 
a, a huge milestone for the company and a process uh, to your one side of your question made quite a bit more interesting because of COVID. Um, you know, the, the bottom line from a process perspective is that it's it's still an under an intense undertaking for any team, and it remains so even when you do it entirely over Zoom, which we did. Um, you know, not too many people noticed, but we actually originally filed in early 2000, uh, 2020, mm -hmm. uh, and then pressed pause when COVID hit, of course, not understanding what any of that meant for our business. Um, and, you know, look, the, the reasons and why we went public is a little unconventional, and it's not the typical set of reasons that you hear companies, uh, you know, trot out. For us, the primary driver was to actually signal stability to our customers and to the industry. And it was because it was becoming really clear to us that Olo was uh, becoming more and more mission critical to our customers. And we had seen a number of acquisitions take place of startups within the industry, for example. So you know, we have a number of customers that had their digital ordering provider, smaller startup type companies, acquired and then right. had the core services shut down because wow. the acquirer mm -hmm. was really after, you know, maybe a piece of that tech for another purpose. Um, and so we felt that in order to continue to service the end of the market that we service, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, emerging enterprise and large enterprise customers that they were going to be increasingly nervous about, you know, operating a huge chunk of their revenue with a company that they weren't certain, you know, would suffer the same fate. So, sure. um, so for us, it was all about how do we prepare ourselves and signal that we're here for the long haul and now as a public company, we're able to pursue our long-term vision and objectives without as many constraints and without the question always looming over us about, you know, oh, is Olo going to get sold or, 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 you know, what's the exit strategy? I, I'm so glad you actually shared that um, that perspective on on the reason and the driver. Um, we've we've noticed uh, and and we know stories of very large restaurant groups who have lost access to critical pieces of technology because that technology company was in fact acquired. And we've seen an interesting response to that, which is they've almost become themselves corporate VCs and deploying capital in smaller earlier stage companies. So they reserve the right to not lose the technology. But again, that's, I find that so interesting. That's, that's another podcast. We've got like four podcasts out of this podcast. Uh, well, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll bring Marty back next week. Uh, listen, um, we're going to shift gears a little bit. It turns out that we, we started our podcast because we like talking to people. We like bringing a guest on and we like asking questions, but along the way we found out our guests sometimes have a question for us. So we, we, we launched uh, talking back and we offer our guests a chance to ask us uh, a question or two. Uh, nothing is off the table. So Marty, we give you the microphone and, and, and anything's fair game. Uh, well, okay. So, um, my uh, my moment oh. as a podcast host. Um, so exciting, huh? Flip things around a little bit here. <laughs> you alluded before to having a crystal ball, so I'm going to see if I can flex the uh, you know that side of things a little bit. 
Um, you're obviously invested uh, kind of broadly in the industry, and I'm curious how you envision the future. And, and more specifically, give me one thing that is a normal part of the restaurant experience today that will be radically different or even completely gone five years from now. Great question. Shatsy, do you want to jump into this or would you like me to, we need to jump in. You want me to stall for you? Give you a moment. We already jumped. No, no, no. Jimbo, you, you know, I was just thinking, I mean, for me, I think it goes back to kind of the things that we talked about. I think as time goes on, you know, holding a phone in your hand is, is the POS that becomes the POS. So the idea of me telling a waiter server, you know, um, you know, here's what I want. They write it on a dupe pad and then they go back to a, another point of sale terminal and put it in and then it goes to the kitchen it, more and more and more that is just going to continue to shift away as the as i think G jimmy alluded to it, his dad eats one way you know my kids are you know 18 20 they don't really want to speak to anybody they don't want to speak to a server they don't want to speak to them on the phone they really just like to have their phone order their food and engage with like you know instagram or something like that <laughs> so i think more and more and more you're going to see that kind of chip away and i think the idea of having to talk to people. You saw it in, in fast casual restaurants or, or in QSR where, you know, the idea of walking up into a McDonald's and, and they say, how can I help you? And you order, you know, that's like moving away because I don't need to do that. I can just use a kiosk or my phone. So I just think you're going to continue to see a shift away from a lot of that. And I think the, the human interaction is going to be less and the experiential restaurants, that human interaction is going to be more of the ambassadorship, more of the people uh, trying to assure that you're having a great time. It could be, you know, uh, talking about wines and cocktails and the specials, things that you want information about, but like the mundane things, you don't really need their help for. If that makes sense, so I really think we're gonna we're gonna continue to see a shift like that. Chats, yeah, in your pipe and smoke it, Jimbo. Chats, I thought that was excellent. Uh, I'm only gonna add one small thing. <laughs> I'm gonna say, Jimmy, there's no way you're not gonna, one, you know, have something to say. One small thing, which is we I mean, we made a statement earlier about the importance of the, you know, the, what's happening beyond the four walls of restaurants and outside the, 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 the dining room. And therefore, hospitality and that, that guest experience, that hostess or host that's very welcoming, that bartender or server that you, know, you create a relationship with. In the, in the digital world, you're not gonna, uh, the, the, that's not gonna be available to the, to the operator. And therefore, they're gonna need tools that really engage with guests in a digital world and give them that welcoming, feeling part of something experience. And it's gonna happen digitally. So to, to we think about customer engagement and specifically customer feedback, how is the guest gonna feel that their voice is being heard um, at, a, at a venue where they, it, they were, their entire relationship is digital. So we, Yelp. that's Jimmy, they go to Yelp. They're not, and we, and we don't like them to go to Yelp. No disrespect Yelp. Uh, but, but we do think there's going to be an entire community that is going to feel loyal and going to feel that the joint is theirs and yet their experience is going to be digital. And that's going to be done through technology that's readily available and getting sharper and better. And that to me is going to be something that five years from now, there are going to be people who brag about their favorite restaurant that they've never been to because they, they, they their relationship again is, is digital. But I think it's a great question. And that's a whole other podcast we could have on that. I think Shatsy ended, answered it better, but I'll leave that to Marty. I can see him nodding, so I think he agrees. But, uh, Jimmy, let's move on. All right, we move on. <laughs> top, of the, top of the tech stack, the second best segment of the entire show. Yeah, you know something, uh, Marty? Outside of Olo, if you could give some advice to some of our listeners who are operators out there, outside of Olo as the most important piece of technology they need in their restaurant today, what would you say is, if you give some advice, what should they be looking at? What would be the next most important piece of tech they have to have? 
Yeah, so I think um, short term and kind of tactically, I think there's a few things. And, and by the way, these are sort of adjacent to Olo, but um, mm -hmm. they're not our products necessarily. Um, one, you know, uh, brands need to be on Google food ordering. Uh, if they're not, it's an important presence that's increasingly popular. It's a, yeah, sort of a big ramp during COVID, first time digital consumers for restaurants using it. Um, and by the way, if you're not taking advantage of that, you know, your marketplace partners or even not right, right. might be, might be doing that for you. Yeah. Um, in-store kiosks, you know, like the fourth wave of kiosks, it's finally there. Uh, you know, you look at the Shake Shack experience, it's awesome. Uh, commodity hardware, so there's not a huge cost. Uh, custom web apps, um, great experiences. Uh, outside of the OLA world, you have to take control of SEO and SEM. Invest in the platforms you need, um, you know, your marketing tech stack to understand and connect with your customers, period. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, there you go. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, our crystal ball moment. Uh, a chance for our guests uh, to put on their Kreskin and Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. Um, Marty, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to hospitality and technology? Yeah, so in 2014, on a keynote, we said something that we, and everyone thought we were nuts, um, but it'll sound less crazy now. Uh, the restaurant of the future is a kitchen and a pickup window, and we are on a we are on a roadmap to uh, deliver on that. Uh, so, two years from now, it will look more like that. Five years from now, even more so, and that to your earlier prediction ties in things like lower barriers to entry for new brands and concepts. Uh, that is the future. <laughs> that last segment was sponsored by Middleby and their open kitchen. Hey, thanks for that, Marty. And I got to tell you, we're gonna have you back in two years and check that out, but I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, let's go to the best uh, segment of the entire podcast, maybe even of all podcasts in the entire world. It's the branded quick fire. It's my segment. Uh, uh, Joe Rogan loves it. Uh, Jimmy loves it. Everyone loves it. I'm going to ask you five lightning round questions. Don't think too hard. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. You're out in the West Coast. So uh, let's hear what you say about this one. Shake Shack or in, or in and out? Uh, Shake Shack, I love you, but it's in and out for me. <laughs> yeah. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Grilling steaks. Boom. From Costco. Ooh la la. What is your favorite food city in the world? Chicago, my hometown. Nice. When travel resumes to complete normalcy, where is the first place Marty is going? With or without his family? Or you can do with family and then without the family. <laughs> um, well, it's time for a big trip, obviously. So let's go with Lake Como. <laughs> is that with family or that's not with? That's not with. Yeah, uh, with Bill. family. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you were a contestant on The Price is Right, who would you turn to in the audience for advice when you have to guess the higher or lower, you know, the price? Me or Jimmy? Yeah, sorry, Shatsy. You got to roll with the numbers guy. Yeah, that God. was a layup. Our producer gave me a layup today. I mean, layup. Honestly, I, I mean, but I, I shop. I know prices. I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> I know what things cost. 
I don't know what the average is, but yes, yeah, I knew I was getting this one. Uh, listen, Marty, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Hangout uh, and for all your great insights. Um, uh, you, 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 you and the team at Olo have created a very special company and branded really thinks about companies that are allies to operators and, and really helping the industry. Um, and we think that's what you guys uh, really do every day. So we appreciate your work uh, for the industry, not just during this difficult time in the pandemic, but really always. Um, if you want to get in touch with Marty directly, you can e email the branded team. You can email us at podcast at brandedstrategic.com and we'd be happy to make an introduction for you. You know, I mentioned at the top of the episode that we had a fantastic offer for our listeners. Um, maybe some this, better be, listeners. this better be really good, Jimmy because I waited. Oh, look, we are excited. We we branded as a key sponsor at Winsight's FS Tech uh, event, Dallas, September 12th to the 14th. Olo's right up there, Jimbo. I saw their name on there. No question Olo's going to be there. Logo. And look, we want to see we want to see more operators there. Uh, we want to bring as many as we can. So uh, branded is sponsoring the Innovation Alley. Uh, we're going to have a big presence ourselves, and we're offering uh, free registration to any restaurant operator listening today that takes advantage of this offer uh we cut the check take advantage of uh right on our tab uh email us again at podcast at brandedstrategic.com and uh come out to uh to dallas september 12th to 14th all operators come on out let's have a good time hey, hey jimbo i just want to add a couple things to this a it's at a great resort it's at the gaylord resort in just outside of dallas it's crazy it's got a whole dome over it the whole thing is you know everything in dallas is bigger that's it's amazing really cool lots of restaurants lots of bars and i'll tell you the registration the complimentary registration isn't just to come in you get to go to all the events all the parties all the 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 the, the meetings and the panels and the discussions and the you get to hang out with jimmy so anybody who registers right now top 100 people you get a sit down breakfast with jimmy how about that? You get to pick Jimmy's brain and hang out with Jimmy. And if anybody, if you haven't had breakfast with Jimmy, let me tell you, it's a real treat. Well, our phones are not ringing on that one, but okay. I appreciate the uh, the offer, Shatsy. To our listeners, uh, we want to thank you very much for tuning in. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and the fact that you used to hang out hang out with us is something we appreciate and value. And our numbers keep growing, so we great we appreciate that. Uh, join us next week as we welcome Paul Allen president and co-founder of next bite uh that'll be a great uh podcast as well marty you were a champion for being here. With paul allen wasn't he from like microsoft or something wasn't he bill gates partner co-founder of microsoft yeah yeah yes, see, yeah, i always get confused with them but i don't think he's with us anymore that paul allen i was gonna say he passed away so the, um so I'm, this is not that paul allen this, this is not be that, paul allen. that would be weird this is, this is paul allen co-founder of next bite which is a fantastic company uh and finally if you haven't done so already please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on the exciting guests we'll have coming up in the future and better yet invite a friend to hang out with us the next time so marty again thank you so much for spending time with us on the hangout and this is jimmy frischling your finance guy uh saying bye-bye and cheers and passing it to my boy shatsy hey thanks uh, uh shatsy aka the restaurant guy thank Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Hospitality Hangout. Marty, thank you for all the great work you're doing at Olo. Please tell Noah we say hello and hope to see you guys in Dallas as well. Cheers, everybody. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.